The last uh, part of the chapter has uh, a section with the title, The Parable of the Unforgiving Servant. In uh, the church I'm serving, at Streetlight Christian Church, I'm preaching from uh, various um, wisdom sayings and parables uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, and that's maybe a little evident because this morning and this afternoon I'll, I'm choosing recent sermons from that series. So um, this is one of, the, one of the parables that Jesus had taught. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. <clears throat> So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Before listening to a message on this parable, uh, I would like to invite you to sing hymn 28, verse 1 and 2.
I would like to read one verse over again, the last verse of that chapter in Matthew 18. It is the sort of the moral punch uh, of the, the whole parable. This is what it's all about. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The uh, title for the message this morning is um, The Defining Behavior of a Christian. <laughs> Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, a Christian is, is a person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. That's something that's pretty well accepted and understood. A person who's a Christian believes in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is their Savior, and they have no hope for the future outside of this Savior. A Christian, however, is more than just a person who believes. A Christian is also a person who, who acts in a particular way. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 10, he writes, a, man, a person believes with the heart and so is justified and confesses with his lips and so is saved. And the Apostle Paul indicates there <clears throat> that when you have faith in Christ, it doesn't just fill your heart with a, with, a, with a wonderful sense of joy and comfort. It also affects you outwardly and it finds manifestation in, in your life, in the way that you speak and in but also in the way that you act and the choices you make. A Christian is a person who believes in Jesus Christ, but a Christian is also a person who behaves in a certain manner. A Christian often fails to behave in, in every way that they should. <clears throat> And I also often do the exact things that I shouldn't, like all Christians. And that's bad. But in Jesus Christ, we, we know that there is forgiveness of sins. So, when we want to define the unique behavior of a Christian, the sort of behavior that cannot be neglected, the sort of behavior that absolutely must be part of your world, then it is this. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you not only experience forgiveness, you also practice forgiveness. And if you do not practice forgiveness, you have never experienced forgiveness. Because the one cannot go without the other. And it's not enough to be the sort of person, you cannot say, well, I forgive people. as though it were enough to, to forgive some people. 
And, and you cannot say, well, I, I forgive almost everybody in my life. That's not good enough either. Jesus Christ presents us in this parable with the imperative, the necessity of forgiving every person for every sin that they commit against you. Of course, we must be sensitive when we, I must be sensitive, or we must be sensitive when we think about that. You cannot just forgive people just like that. It's, it's a difficult process, and I, I don't want to get into the process this morning, but I do want to acknowledge it at this point. It's not always easy to forgive. When, when children have been horribly abused by parents who have abused their, their authority and their strength to cause injury and pain to their children, when they've done that, that's really hard. When those children grow up, for them to discover, realize, and then forgive, that's really hard. For a woman to forgive a man who's abused her, that's really hard. And you can't just forgive, it's a process, it's, it's difficult, and I want to acknowledge that, but that doesn't take away the point that a Christian is a person who practices forgiveness, who... And who desires forgiveness, who pursues forgiveness in all their relationships. And there are none about which you can say, that person? I'm not going to forgive that person. I will always hold their sin against them. If there is somebody in your life whom you have not forgiven, if there is somebody in your life whom you are not trying to forgive, then you have betrayed your very name. If you claim the name Christian, you have betrayed it because you are not a Christian. If you do not pursue forgiveness with that person, it will go very badly for you because Jesus teaches that in this parable. He warns us about the need to forgive our neighbor from the heart. And we're going to see two things. We're going to see how important it is, and so we're going to see how, you know, in the grand scheme of things, how important is it? And we've already identified that already, but I want to identify that from within the parable. I want to support the introduction with the, with the text. We're going to see, first of all, how important is it for us to forgive our neighbor from the heart. And then we're going to see why that's important. And, and so we're going to apply sort of the, the moral teaching in a theological manner. So how important and why is that so important? A king is settling accounts for whatever reason. Jesus doesn't explain it. It's a parable. It's just a story that he tells. But it, it, this kind of thing would happen at, at special moments during a king's reign especially during when a king comes to the end of his reign and he's going to bequeath his kingdom to his son, let's say. So this is a, something that would happen during the life of a king. And so a king is settling accounts, and, 
a man is brought to him who owes him a tremendous amount of money. He owes him 10,000 talents. And the amount of money represented by that number is, is astounding. It's a difficult one to identify. When they try to quantify it today, they would say it's worth billions of dollars. It's just a stunning amount of, of, of money. Um, one, uh, one commentator said it, it, it represents 20, sorry, it represents 200,000 years of labor. So it's a, a stunning amount of money which this man owed to the king. The man had been a fool because he had sold his future for the pleasure he could have in the present moment. And he did it careless of the life of his wife and his children. He was a father. He didn't care that he was selling not only his own future, but he was selling the very existence or the future of his wife and children. For the king demanded payment. He knew the day was going to come. And now the king demands that he pay up his accounts. In order to do that, or in order to begin to do that, he must sell everything that he has and his wife and his children. They will be sold as slaves for whatever money they would raise. The man begged the king for patience. He doesn't beg for mercy. He doesn't ask to be forgiven the debt. He asks for more time to do what everybody knew was impossible. He asks, he begs for patience. Give me time and I will pay off the debt, which is impossible. He'll never pay it off. And the king recognized how impossible it was too. And he was moved with pity, and he forgave the debt. And he released the man from all his fears. And he got his future back again. It's obvious that Jesus teaches this parable in order to illustrate the behavior of God toward us. We have been fools, certainly as foolish as this man who built up a debt of 10,000 talents, an astronomical amount of debt. That's what we do. Toward God, we sell our future in order to enjoy the present. We sell the future joys and paradise of all things in order to enjoy the futile, empty pleasures that we may embrace and take to us right now in this world. That's what we did in paradise. God said, don't eat of that tree. And, and, and the implication is that there would be abundant life which would be yours if you just listened to God and lived in a love relationship with him and showed your love by obeying him. By denying yourself the present pleasure of that fruit on the forbidden tree, they would invest for eternal joy in the future. Adam and Eve 
didn't do it. And I fail to do it so often in my life, too. We sell the future to enjoy the present. We sell something worth infinite amounts to enjoy something that has value for only a, a moment and leaves only bitterness and regret and fear. But that's what we have done. We, we sin against the great king, and as a result, our lives become worthless. For our debt becomes so huge it cannot possibly be paid and the only future, if it had not been for Jesus Christ, the only future for all of us would be that we would be thrown into a debtor's prison and stay there forever and ever. Because the debt that we have amassed with God by the sins that we commit cannot possibly be paid. But we are, we are here together in worship because we come into the presence of God in the name of Jesus Christ. He is the source. It is through Jesus Christ that we receive any blessing, any hope, any future. We are here because we know that our debt is paid. We go to God and we ask him, God, please forgive my sins for Jesus' sake. We don't, like the man in the parable, we don't say to God, God, please have patience with me, as though uh, if God would just let us stay free for a little while, we might be able to pay the debt. Uh, unfortunately, we would only make the debt worse. Like, like a drunk, can only go back to the bottle. That's all we can do. We, we don't go to God and say, God, have patience with me. We say, God, have mercy with me. Please forgive my debt. The, the point I want to make sure that, that we accept here is that this man's position, his circumstance was desperate. Apart from the mercy of the king. And we need to have a deep sense of how desperate our situation is. Apart from, apart from the Savior Jesus Christ. The story continues. <clears throat> after the king has forgiven this man. The story continues. The man goes out, and he found his brother. Jesus uses, he found him. It's like, Jesus, it's like this man, he went straight from the, the, the royal chamber of the king where settled, accounts are settled, and he has just been forgiven. He leaves the king's chamber, and he goes and finds his fellow <clears throat> servant who owes him 100 denarii. And he, he goes to him and he grabs him by the neck and he begins to choke him. 
And he says, pay or I'll kill you. Um, So he's threatening physical violence and injury or even death if he does not pay his debt. He's, um, he's very determined to make this debtor pay him back. The man, just like in the, in the first part of the parable, this man who owes 100 denarii, he begs for, for patience. Um, give me time and I'll pay it off. Now, when he asks for patience, that's a reasonable request. Because... Um, a debt of 100, sorry, a debt of 10,000 talents is no amount of patience is ever going to result in any satisfaction. The, pay, the request for patience was ridiculous in that situation, but for this man to ask for patience who owes 100 denarii, that's a reasonable request. Because uh, 100 denarii is a very measurable amount of money in the gospel narratives. Twice we have, Jesus himself uses the, 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 um, uh, the amount a denarii to represent a day's wage. So 100 denarii represents about a third of a year's work. And so if he asks for patience, well, that's reasonable. Given time, this man in a year or, or two years, he would be able to pay off the debt. That's reasonable. But the man was deaf to the other man's plea for mercy. He did, in fact, throw him into prison, the man who owed 100 denarii. He threw him into prison so that somehow from there he might pay his debt. Probably what that means is that he's thrown in in prison and uh, the man who, who did it, who threw him into prison, would hire him out as a slave to different jobs uh, in order that he might earn some money and then he would come back to the debtor's prison and whatever wages he made would go straight to him. That's how the debtor's prison worked. When people saw what had happened, they became very upset. This man had been forgiven an unimaginably large debt, and he refused to forgive a comparatively small debt. That's incredibly callous for him to now throw him into prison. Should a person who has shown mercy not show mercy himself? And should a person who has been forgiven not also forgive others? That seems completely reasonable. The story is told to the king, and the king is upset as well. And he summons the man into his presence, and he says to him, I showed you mercy. Why did you not show mercy to the man who owed you only a shadow of debt compared to the debt I forgave you? As a result, the king threw this man into jail, and whatever joy he had been, that he had received, he now lost it. The message is is so clear, that's the, the beauty of the parables of Jesus Christ.
you will go to hell if you do not forgive everyone that sins against you. For Jesus says in verse 35, this is how my heavenly Father will treat you. Sorry, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Jesus doesn't speak in the third person, he speaks in the second. He speaks about you. This is how he will treat each of you. Jesus wants it to be personal. He wants it to be understood. He wants us to take it to heart. It's not about somebody else, it's about me. Jesus is speaking to me, is what we should recognize here. And so when we want to consider the question, how important is this? Then the answer is pretty obvious. It's very important. It is everything. A Christian forgives not just some, not just most, but a Christian forgives everyone who sins against him. When they repent and humbly ask for mercy, a Christian forgives. So, why is that so important? It's huge in terms of Christian morality. This is the defining behavior of a Christian. It's huge. Why is it so important in God's eyes, in the teachings of Jesus? It's really important to God because God worked so hard on it. God is working so long in order to bring about forgiveness of sins. It's the first thing that God decided um, after the creation of the world. Adam and Eve sinned. Immediately, God begins a process to accomplish forgiveness. It's immediately what God begins to do after sin makes its appearance upon the earth. In paradise, God began a process in order to, to forgive Adam and Eve. And it took God thousands and thousands of years until the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead, and then God can forgive our sins completely because they are nailed to the cross, as Paul says in Colossians. And for the last 2,000 years, God has been working through his church in order to share this great bounty, to bless us all, with this magnificent gift, God's forgiveness. And God's working hard on that. It takes a lot of work for a person to accept forgiveness, for a person to, to, to be broken in spirit and to ask God for mercy for Jesus' sake. They have to be recreated. Their, their heart of stone, my heart of stone, has to be taken out and a heart of flesh put in its place. It's tremendous work for God to be doing. It's recreating, creating everything all over again. It's a big job to create a Christian, a forgiven person. God works hard at this. And, and God hasn't just put a lot of time into this 
matter of forgiveness and, and, and work, but God has sacrificed much. You know, the, in the story of the king um, who forgives the man 10,000 talents, he, you read it through and you, and, and you just skip on through it. Okay, he forgave a lot of money. But it would have hurt him. All his accountants were saying, no, don't do it. You have all these projects and all these plans, and if you lose 10,000 talents, you're not going to be able to accomplish them. It would have hurt the king tremendously and deeply affected his kingdom to, to, to lose 10,000 talents. It's an astronomical amount of money. Billions of dollars. One figure I read was $3 billion. It costed him a lot. And, and God... God paid a lot to have you forgiven, to have you restored, to have you reconciled to him. Because it costed God a lot. It costed him his own son. God was willing to throw his son into debtor's prison forever and ever until he should pay the last penny for you and me in order to restore us to him, in order to forgive us our debt. And it is forever and ever. Jesus Christ went to debtor's prison. He went to hell. And he lost all hope of ever escaping it. Because Jesus Christ is not just a human, he's also God. And with God, three hours of darkness on the cross is experienced as an eternity of darkness in hell. That's how he experiences it, because that is, as we confess, that is what he must pay to cover our debt, because that's how big our debt is. It's infinite in all its dimensions. And so what did it cost God? It costed God everything in order that he might receive us back into his friendship. And God is busy now. He's gathering a body of Christians. He's gathering together a body of, of believers, those who believe in Jesus Christ and put hope in his sacrifice. God is gathering together a body of sons and daughters who reflect his values, at least who reflect this value, that when somebody asks me for, for, for forgiveness, we will forgive. The Gospel of Matthew is the Gospel which describes Jesus Christ more than the others do. Matthew wants to present Jesus Christ as the great king, the great son of David, the fulfillment of those promises that the son of David was coming. And therefore, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, you hear more frequently Jesus addressed as son of David, Jesus, son of David, by the, the blind man outside of Jericho. In the... Um, in the genealogy, Luke describes Jesus as 
as the Son of God and, and the great human, the, the, the hope of the human race, but Matthew describes Jesus as the, the hope of the Israelite people, the great King of David, Son of David, and the, the closing verse of Matthew presents Jesus Christ as having arrived at this place of absolute authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This, the throne of David has at last been established to rule all things. This is the glory of the gospel according to Matthew. Jesus is the great king and his people. His people accept the principle of the king. Jesus Christ is identifying this as the critical behavior that we must pattern. Because the church that Jesus Christ is gathering together must be a conquering community that takes the world in the name of Jesus Christ and brings people back into a restored relationship with God. The church has an, an, a tremendous responsibility toward the world. And if we're going to accomplish this task, we need, to, we need to be supporting one another and not dividing against one another. We need to be a community that's healed in our relationships. And we cannot tolerate unforgiven sin to break the community into fragments. We need to heal from the injuries that we have caused one another. Because the king calls us to duty. And we must bring to bear every power that is granted us. The king expects no less. That's why, brothers and sisters, that's why forgiveness is so important. So I invite you to reflect on this parable. Think about the things that take place within the parable and, and then think about the people in your life. Even if a person doesn't deserve to be forgiven, work toward it. Because it's what Jesus Christ lived for, to forgive me. I didn't deserve it. To forgive you. Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive our sins, but that wasn't the only thing he came to do. He also came to give us an, an example so that we might do likewise. Amen.